0: Hey guys, it's Georgia Smith here and I'm daughter of WWE legend, superstar Davy Boy Smith and you're listening to the Chronicles of Podcast with
1: Tom and Jamie.
2: Hi guys, if you haven't had enough of us already, we're here again. (laughs) We're bombarding you every single week, but still, welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast way back Wednesday, invented by the man himself, what a genius move. We were, going to, okay. we we're Well, you're very welcome. We were going to have a throwback Thursday and thought, do you know what be really cool? Let's change shit up a little bit. So welcome to Wayback Wednesday. This is what we're going to do every single week. We have an archive. We have loads and loads of interviews from our previous shows. And we decided to bring them all into one channel so you can see and listen to everything. How about that, eh? We're treating you. Not only are you going to have new episodes every Friday, you're now going to have Way Back Wednesdays every Wednesday to check out old and previous episodes. So this week... We've
0: gone for, in our first edition, the Chronicles of Mr. Mark Bernardi. Yes, indeed, because we feel people need to listen to these episodes, even if you're brand new to us, then have a listen. Mark was an incredible guest. Oh, yes. The intro to this episode alone is one of the highlights (laughs) of our podcasting (laughs) career. It is incredible. We did this interview on our old show, You Soap Chronicles, but this is incredible. Just listen to this. Mark, now... He's got so much going on Like since we did this interview. He just released a comic called Adora and the Distance, which you'd have to go check out on Comixology and Amazon and everywhere. It's a comic he worked on for 15 years. Wow. It's a book dedicated to his daughter, Sophie, and all about her journey with autism. And it is absolutely beautiful by all accounts. Like The reviews have been incredible. Um, Mark's just about to start his first short film, his directorial debut for his movie called Splinter which is all all set on an aeroplane, from what I can gather. Okay. It was crowdfunded to over $200,000 in less than a week. Whoa! And from what I can gather since then, it's now doubled, maybe even tripled. That's insane. But the guy's a hero, like an an absolute icon, so I'm not surprised. And he's literally said himself, which makes me, my respect, through the roof. He's not taking any of that money for himself. He's literally like, right, this extra money, I'm going to use that to pay for better catering. I'm going to use that to pay the actors more. use that to pay the extras more, whatever. All going into the project, which if I wore a hat, I would tip it, Mr. Bernardo. And and of course, as everyone probably should already know, on Netflix, Masters of the Universe, Revelation... Mm -hmm run show run by kevin smith it is incredible if you haven't watched the first five episodes already but mark wrote episode three and one of the upcoming episodes as well so you definitely need to go and check that out and of course as we already talked about in the episode fat man beyond i'd say every week but it's every whenever at the minute because kevin's filming clerks free so it's whenever it can happen but still doesn't mean you can't subscribe to the feed so go check out mr mark Bernardin and check out our interview with him Here come, here you are, the Chronicles
2: of Mr. Mark Bernard.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you know what I'm going to say. We have an amazing guest. Now, it's no secret, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. I've even got the man on my forearm. Now, sometimes through fandom, you discover amazing, talented people you just need and want to know more about. And today's guest is one of those people. Today's guest is a writer of TV and comic books, a journalist, a podcaster, you name it, he's probably done it. Today, we welcome to Youssep Chronicles, Mr. Blackman Beyond, Mark Bernardin.
1: Hello, gentlemen. Uh, You you name it, I've probably done it. Like, well, I mean, there's some murders I haven't done. (laughs) (laughs) some. Some murders I haven't done. I can't take credit for all of the murders. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you how your year's been, but you've just explained yourself already. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been really busy with murder and covering up murder. <laughs> yeah. At some point, this podcast will now be evidence on the eventual murder trial. I was like, dude, you admitted to murder. Like, a lot of murder.
2: I saw on uh, I saw on your Twitter, I think it was from yesterday, that someone had sent you money and put it as murder.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, jeez, you can't just, like, oh, that's funny, but at some point... <laughs> my Venmo feed will be used as evidence against me in a court of law.
2: That's going to show up in the next couple of weeks. And you're like, Oh God. Damn it. <laughs> all right.
1: Heck up everything. We're on the lamb again.
2: <laughs> but um, no, in all seriousness though, how has your year been?
1: Um, You know, this, this has been a year that could not have been predicted in any way, shape or form. Um, You know, it's, it's been, Luckily, the the work that I do does not necessarily require me to be into an office. And mm. um, there's also work that can continue while so much of the rest of both you know America and the world is shut down. So it's been this weird survivor's guilt kind of feeling of like <laughs> like I I know it's awful. Like it's not like awful for me in the ways it's awful for most people, which is. I'm still getting to make money. I'm still getting to do my job. I'm still getting to put food on the table. If we can find it, I'm still getting to buy toilet paper when you can find it. (laughs) You know, it's uh, just emotionally, it's been a a chaotic year to say the least. Um, You know, and even though I've been able to work on, you know, television shows that, you know, I've been staffed on. And so I'll go on the zoom every day and do my job. The, uh, The enterprise work of like, I want to write something new. I want to make something up out of whole cloth and just see if I can put it into the world has been stultifyingly low um, because it's, this has been an ongoing trauma, you know, and it's very, very hard to be creative when you're in the middle of trauma. And it's a trauma that we haven't been able to actually, you know, recover from or heal from or power through because it changes all the time. Every, every day, every week, there's some new element to it that you couldn't have foreseen and therefore haven't been able to prepare for. You know, I remember trying to, to write comics um, post 9-11, you know, this sort of immediate aftermath of that. Like, and it was awful and it was hard and it was, you know, just spiritually and socially and, and nationally crumbling. But it was an event that we could power through and recover and heal from. Whereas this is this ongoing state of chaos that it's so impossible. The the sand is shifting beneath your feet and it's just really hard to build those calluses when suddenly the, 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 all of the stimuli is coming from places you didn't expect it. So it's, it's been a weird eight months. Um, Only in the last two have i been able to actually like sort of plant my feet and get any real work done. And it's been great. And it's been fantastic because you know, that's, that's, the, the lifeblood of my existence is being able to make shit up for money. Um, <laughs> and so it, now that I can do that again, it feels much better.
2: Good. I'm pretty, I mean, it doesn't help obviously when you're now former president, um, I'm sorry that I even called him that. Um, mm, well. Obviously didn't even believe in it himself and wasn't wearing masks and obviously weren't really, no one was really locking down anywhere. And obviously your totals were just skyrocketing.
1: Um, yeah. It, shocking. It's a, uh, it, it's amazing how much we take simple things like logic and science and medicine for granted yeah. until, you know, reason seems to just leave the building. And it's, and it's maddening when, you know, you hear reports and, you know, of, you know, learned folks, of people with actual degrees in this who say, give us 10 weeks, we can make it all go away. If you just do these things, we can make it go away. And to have a a country, half of it, unwilling to even entertain the idea of just doing these things, which are minor inconveniences. Like, it's going to suck. I get it. And you can't go out of the house. You got to wear a mask when you do. But just fucking do it for three months, gang. Yeah, Three months and we're done. Like, if we did it in May, we'd be back to school. (laughs) You know? And like, son of a bitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the same here People just don't want to do it Because it's an inconvenience it's,
2: And yeah. now we're back in lockdown again
1: You know And it's and it's and you know, everybody said it would happen Like it's not as if it's, it's a surprise Like hey gang if we just do the right thing Then we can find a way To suppress it enough that we can then Begin to work on vaccines And we can begin to you know talk about things Like herd immunity or whatever But nobody did it And so here we are again
2: well done, world. Congratulations. Yes.
1: Well done. <laughs> oh. <Woo. laughs> Death of the universe. Can't come faster. Right.
0: Let, let's just cheer things off a little bit. Oh, and, indeed. Uh, yeah. Take us back to where it started for you. Where did the writing bug get you? What What made you go down this path?
1: Um, You know, I think I, I've always been a nerd. Um, you know, one of my very first real, legit, like human person memories is seeing star Wars, you know, and that sort of feeling of like, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. And there's laser beams and flashy swords and spaceships and that's cool. And Hey, that lady's neat. And there's a giant walking dog. That's awesome. Oh, and we get more of these. This is phenomenal. You know, like, and and it wasn't until I saw flash Gordon, which is still one of my favorite movies ever, um, that I realized that people made these things, that they just didn't exist in the world. Because, you know, until you realize that, you might as well think, like, oh yeah, just shit like this happens. <laughs> <laughs> it just exists. Like, oh no, somebody made this. There's names in the front of this and names God in the back. <laughs> <it. laughs> there's not just, there's no Mongo, sadly. Um, and, uh, and once I started paying attention to, to the fact that people made stuff like this, you know, and then some of the same names would make the same things that I liked, it became clear that, like, no, this is a job that some people do. And it's a job that, you know, is theoretically possible to have. Um, you know, I was always a, a bit of a creative kid, loved comic books, loved pulp novels, loved science fiction and fantasy, um, couldn't draw to save my life. Um, it, it, it remains this, like, man, if I could draw, that would be the best. <laughs> drawing Drawing to me is like being able to play the piano, you know, where you can, like, sit down and make something entirely um, beautiful in and of itself. Like, writing is hard to do that, you know, unless you're fucking Faulkner or Stephen King or James Joyce or whatever it is. Um, but, like, if you can draw a drawing, man, like, girls will like it if you could just draw a drawing. Like, if you sit down on a piano, any piano, and play a song... Come on! I get so much like taking the flute. Like nobody really wants flute going up, but like the piano man, like that's pretty awesome. Um, But so I wanted to be able to draw, but couldn't draw. But still wanted to be able to, you know, kind of tell stories. And so it it fell into into writing for me. and I also, like English was the best class that I ever had when I was in school. Like I could, I was useless at the maths or the sciences, um, but the Englishes and the words were, were where it all kind of clicked for me. And then I wanted to be a filmmaker. I was like, look, you don't have to draw to be able to put these images out in front of people. Just be like Spike Lee. I don't know if he can draw, but I'd like to be Spike Lee. And so went to, went to university with an, eye, with an eye towards being a filmmaker and then made a bunch of short films that all turned out bad. Because nobody cared about them as much as I did, you know. Like I, you need a people, you need an army of people to make a movie mm. uh, that comes out the way anybody envisions it. And if that army of people are apathetic at best um, and absent at worst, then uh, then you're kind of left kind of holding the camera by yourself and shooting yourself. And this was way before TikTok, and that was not a viable way to make <laughs> to make a career. Um, but if I was writing, like. The the screenplay like I can I can obsess over that I can make that the best that I can make it and then whatever happens after that is is out of my hands and so that's when I sort of you know kind of drilled down and decided like I think I want to be a screenwriter and uh, and then didn't do it for twenty years um, I became a journalist um, which you know is is a lot of the muscles are the same you know especially in TV writing you know you're writing to a deadline you're writing to a length. You're telling stories to convince people to do things. Like I was an entertainment journalist, so I wasn't like covering murders or anything. I would, <laughs> I would come to murder later as a hobby. Um, but uh, you know, covering TV shows and movies is like basically convincing people to either go see these TV shows or not. Um, and being able to 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 make that case um, was was interesting and rewarding and ultimately useful. To figure out, like, if I'm trying to convince a person how to spend two hours of their time, it's not totally alien to then try and convince somebody to give me $100 million to make a movie that will make other people spend a lot of their time on. Um, and so, yeah, I was a journalist for almost 20 years. And then finally, after, after peeking over the fence of the world that I wanted to be in, um, I finally got a chance to, to hop it in the last few years. And it's been great. That's good. I mean, you've mentioned murder quite a few times now, Mark. I'm starting to get slightly concerned. Well, you should. I mean, we're, we're, we're a, you know, a nation and an ocean away. I think you're fine. Are you sure? You (laughs) you must know a lot of people. (laughs) Sadly, nobody in immigration. I can't get a visa. (laughs) Thank God for Corona. Everything's locked down. Thank God. Mm -hmm. I'm safe for now. (laughs) You guys are keeping it together. Excellent.
2: Um, (laughs) So I take it magazines is where you started out then, Mags and the Los Angeles Times and the Hollywood
1: Reporter, am I right? Yeah. I mean that my first job out of college was at a at a tiny science fiction magazine called Starlog. Um, which uh way back in the day was like the first science fiction magazine. Like there was famous Monsters of Filmland and um, but Starlog kind of grew out of the, the nascent convention scene um, in, in, the, in the U.S. and out of an ongoing love for Star Trek reruns. And so Starlog became that place where you would go to see your first pictures of E.T. or Wrath of Khan or, you know, set visit reporting from Raiders of the Lost Ark or Aliens, you know, like that. that was their business and they were in it for a good 30 years or so before the events of the internet killed them. But, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where I learned to edit stories for clarity and length and talk to other writers about, you know, what's, what's working in their story and isn't, you know, how, how to best tell the story they want to tell, like as an editor, that's the job. The job is to, is to help the story that you're editing be the best version of itself and help the writer get it there. Um, and so learning how to do that and learning how to 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 talk to other creative people and learning how to interface with other departments you know being in a in a tv writers room is uh, is very much you're telling somebody else's story and you're helping them to tell it and how best can you help that person convey that vision and you know try to be additive when you can don't be negative if it's pointless you know it's 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 a it's, uh, it's it's pitch, don't bitch. It's pitch <laughs> solutions, don't just complain about problems. Um, but, but yeah, it was Starlog and then Entertainment Weekly and then um, Hollywood Reporter, Playboy, Hollywood Reporter, LA Times, and then vanishing from journalism entirely. So like when
2: you write your segments and stuff then, do you get to decide what you're gonna write about and people then go, Oh, I like that, but maybe change this or whatever, or do they go, here's a brief, this is what I want you to write this month.
1: <laughs> um, you know, in, in television, it's uh, you know, we're all kind of deciding the story we're gonna tell. If you've got if you're working on a good show that's got a good showrunner, you know, who absolutely will come up with an idea and say, Hey, listen, guys, this season of blah show we're going to tell a story of how this character learns how to overcome X. Here's who the big bad is going to be. And we have a feeling we want to end with those two characters dead, those two characters in love and that guy, the new big bad. And so, okay, great. That's, that sounds like a plan. Hmm. Now let's all figure out how to chop that loose idea into 10 episodes of television. Okay, great. Now we kind of know what these 10 are. Now we got to go inside each one of these 10 and say, all right, well, what's happening in this episode that, Connects the dots and tells that long, overarching meta story. It's like, oh, okay, great. That's that episode. Great. Now, what are the scenes in this episode that help? Like, it's you're working from macro to micro. You start big and then you go down small. So, it's what's the whole season? You know, mm-hmm. what's the whole story of the show? What's the yeah. season? What's the episode? What's the scene? And what's the line of dialogue in that scene that helps make it happen? Um, so it's, it's less, you know, somebody is giving me a a dossier filled with top secret (laughs) about plot and character and more like we all kind of came to this agreement together. We're all working on all these episodes together. Um, once you get down to the, we've all decided what the scenes are, that's when the writer goes off by themselves and in a, in a, in a dank warren of a place and just gets to work and then brings that script back to the, to the room and say, Hey guys, I wrote a script. How does it feel? And then everybody reads it. Everybody gives notes. You go back and rewrite it. And it's that, that's the job. It's it's writing and then rewriting and then rewriting. And then they steal it from you. And then you can't rewrite it anymore.
2: <laughs> I had the, an image of someone coming with the briefcase with their uh, handcuffs. Yes.
1: You're in the case, sir. You're in the case.
0: See, you said Starlogs was your first job outside of college. Yes. Um, did you get an education in writing, or was it somewhat of a natural, just came to you sort of thing?
1: You know, I, 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 uh, in when I was in college, my major was communication arts, um, which was very loosey-goosey, kind of daffy, um, not particularly refined. Um, but part of that was, you know, I, I took some creative writing classes, I took a couple of screenwriting classes, but it was mostly, you know, part of being a journalist, especially an entertainment journalist. And I focused a lot on reviews. I was the, the film editor for the LA Times. And doing that, I was overseeing the critics. When I was at EW, I oversaw the movie review section, the video review section. And so much of, I think, for me, learning how to write was watching movies that I loved over and over and over again, and then trying to take them apart and figure out why they worked. You know, it was a bit of reverse engineering. It's like, all right, now Aliens is a perfect movie. Now, why is it a perfect movie? What is it doing um, in every given scene? Like, what information is being conveyed? You know, how is he using suspense? How is he using humor? How is he, you know, setting up characters that, you know, will twist this way? How is he building in sort of these reveals that will eventually help, you know, push the plot forward? How is he defining character? Um, you know, it's, it's all a bit of, um, I mean, movies are magic anyway, but they're magic that you can absolutely learn how those tricks are pulled off. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that I was quite the, the like video store scholar that Quentin Tarantino was, <laughs> but, you know, the, the ability, and now it's so much easier to than, do than, than it was when I was a kid, but to get your hand on a screenplay and then watch the movie while you're reading the screenplay and saying, oh, that's what that does. Oh, that's how they achieve that. Oh, okay. If you put in parentheses, you know, smirks, then that's why Indiana Jones gives a little bit of an offhand look. You know, it's, it's, it's looking at the tools while you're looking at the car, the tools built at the same time. Hmm. Um, and, and, and for me, a lot of that was being a critic, was learning, like, why do I like something? Um, and why don't I like something? And when I don't like it, why don't I like it? You know like I, I do get I do get a fair amount of uh, knocks on the internet for hating everything and it's like well it 's not true i don 't really hate everything um, but i'm I'm candid about my opinions on things um, and it 's always an effort to understand why <clears throat> you know like why doesn't this work for me? you know where something else does you know what can we what can we learn by this you know not quite abject failure, but failed attempt at whatever. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't particularly hate, you know, Justice League. I don't think it's a good movie, but I'm fascinated by why it's not a good movie. <laughs> so bad, <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh, that's fine. You guys can, you know, you think I'm a pessimist. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, fu- I'm, I'm creatively critiquing this in a way that hopefully makes the work that I do better and at the very least helps other people try and understand for themselves, hmm. you know, why they like it or don't, you know, like it's, and, and, and I think that that's, that for me was the biggest film school. Like I read a bunch of screenwriting books when I was younger and it got to the point where, you know, you would maybe take one or two little bits of information with you, but they eventually all kind of said the same thing, which is, here's kind of the form. Here's the three act structure. Here's reversals and twists. Here's how this kind of thing works. And then beyond that, it's go off and do it and make a bunch of mistakes and then learn from those mistakes and find the movies that you like that do it really well, figure out why they did it well, and then steal from them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> also, yeah. if, people, if people are having a go, you've been pessimistic all the time, apparently. Um, apparently. You wouldn't, be much of a, you wouldn't be much of a critic, would you? That does not take away completely from the job role.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's also, and I learn from a lot of really smart critics. Um, you know, one of my favorites of which was Lisa Schwartzbaum, who was a, one of the film critics for Entertainment Weekly. And I remember she gave like Kangaroo Jack an A. And I was like, why does Kangaroo Jack get an A? And she said, it, it, it achieved everything it set out to. You know, it might've set a, a relatively low bar, but it cleared it in high fashion. You know, like, I, w- I would rather a movie that just wanted to be juvenile and silly and funny actually be juvenile and silly and funny than some, like, high-minded art film that is just ponderous and boring without actually being mm. good. It's like, so be the best version of the thing you're trying to be. And I always kind of took that with me. of Like, yeah there's, yeah, there's no value judgment on the kind of movie you're trying to make. Just did you do what you set out to do? And if you did, or the closer you got to it, the better... Quote unquote, a movie it is. Um, you know, and so that, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm agnostic when it comes to genre to a certain degree, where it's like, yeah, whatever. You wanna make that movie? Cool. Is it good? You wanna make like, this? Fine, great. Is it good? Like, I'll sit through Twilight and be like, you know, this doesn't work for me, but I got 100% understand why it works for who it works for. You know, like, and, and that that for me was was film school. That was my education, is, is being a critic is paying attention to the things that I watch to try and get under the hood and see why they do the things they do and how they work when they work and why when they don't work, they don't work. Um, And luckily, it's also my favorite thing to do, which is watch movies over and over and over again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever get anyone come at you being like, Bernardin, what are you saying about my movie, mate? Come on. (laughs) Um,
1: I'm trying to think. I I did have every now and again, and luckily it's always friendly. Um, oh, because goodness. people people that I don't know who make movies that I may or may not like, you know, they're not looking for me to come and, you know, give them, you know, critiques about it. But every now and again there'll be something that a, a friend of mine has worked on and I will, you know, gently rib it and then be like, Well, dude, it's 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 in there. I'm like, but is it though? <laughs> Is it though? I'm not sure. Um, but no, I and, and I think that that um, creative people can understand that my critiques are not coming from a place of antipathy mm. or hatred or venality. It's just I think that one thing was more successful than another, and why? You know, why didn't this work for me? Is is a valid critique, and I hate this because I hate it is not. Um. Mm. So so hopefully. There's there's not a lot of ill will, or they're keeping it a secret from me, um, <laughs> that, and either is
2: fine. <laughs> but that is like you don't want to come at me though, because otherwise we'll be talking about murder, <laughs> murder most foul.
0: <laughs> there's that M word again. <laughs> so, so you went for journalism, and was it from German and journalism? Journalism. You went into comic books.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. It was when I was at Entertainment Weekly. You know, I had been a comics fan since I was a, a wee lad, a preteen. Um, and when I was at EW, it happened to be at the time when like Spider-Man came out, um, and not the '78 Nicholas Hammond television show, but the actual Tobey Maguire movie that made like five hundred million dollars worldwide. Um, and I was able to go to my bosses and say, "Hey, you know, it seems people like this because everyone saw it." And maybe they might be interested in reading some comic book coverage in the magazine since they will have seen Spider-Man and then want to go to the comic book store and say, what's like Spider-Man? Like, maybe there's, there's a way we can, we can do some service journalism and, and do some regular comics coverage. And he said, yes, because, you know, that made sense. Um, and in starting up EW's comics coverage in the real, on, on the real regular, I was able to go to things like San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con and start to meet the people who made comics and i and you know i I don't know if you guys feel this way but i always thought the people who made comics were like wizened elders who lived in you know (laughs) in, in palaces atop mountains um you know and then like you meet somebody like ed brubaker or you know it's like you're just like you're my age like you're just a guy who makes comics like really good comics but you're not like a. s you're not like Will Eisner. You're not like some 75-year-old grandfather who holds the secret talisman in the key to <laughs> wonder and <in> glory. Um, <laughs> you're a guy who read a lot of pulp novels and like synthesized it into your own style. That's cool. You know, and like meeting comics creators for the real first time and meeting publishers and editors and you know, lots of them who had been, you know, happy that EW was covering comics in a real way would, you know, always say like, Hey man, like I've read your reviews. Like you can write everything about writing comics. And I would say, yes. And uh, I said, well, what do you want to do? And then I would pitch them ideas. And then a couple of them found purchase and, you know, was able to start working, um, doing a couple of creator owned like graphic novels and able to do a little bit of work for DC and Marvel. Um, and then had to stop covering comics because I, I couldn't, the, the, the same hand couldn't be both giving and taking, you know, I couldn't be mm-hmm. taking money from DC comics yeah, and yeah. then assigning reviews of DC comics, whether or not I was fair or equitable, just the, the illusion of conflict of interest was enough mm. to, uh, to make it that I could no longer cover comics, but the, the, the seed had been planted in EW. It kept on going after I stopped doing it. And more importantly, at least for me, I got to actually start making comics. Um, which is the, the dream and also the nightmare because comics are the hardest thing I've ever written because I'm like writing a movie or a TV show where uh, you know, the, the thing you don't really have control over is time per se. like, you're just kind of writing like, Hey, uh, so this guy walks into this room and he shoots him in the face and then he takes the briefcase and tied around his arm. And then he runs out and there's a car chase and the car chase goes on for like, I don't know, whatever, like three or four pages. And then there's a kissing scene. And then the blah 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 bad guy. Like, it's all very, like, you're just kind of writing to write. But comic books, it's all right. How many panels are on this page? How many balloons are in each panel? Um, How are you conveying the, the little architecture and the math of how this page is laid out, you know what information are you choosing to show in these, you know, still captures of time. It's you know, it's it's something like you know, math plus creativity plus playwriting plus screenwriting. Um, it's a bear of a form to work in, especially if you've never done it before. Even if you read comics your whole life, it's like I this is fucking hard. I just <laughs> I just ah. Yeah, I wish it. I could draw. <laughs> yeah, if I could draw, I'd know how this works. That'd be so much easier.
2: Um, so, with the comics, then, are these creations of your own? Or, again, were these pitched ideas to you that you went, yeah, I can write that?
1: Uh, it, it depends. Like, you know, some of the stuff that, that, that I've done in comics is stuff that, you know, I or, or myself and a co writer, um, my friend Adam Freeman, would be like, hey, we got this idea. Who will help us publish this idea? Um, you know, and that's, that's how a book like Genius came together with Top Cow. That's how a book like The Highwaymen came together with Wildstorm. And then sometimes it's, hey, do you want to write The Authority? And we'll say yes. Like, hey, do you have a Nightcrawler story in you? Yes. <laughs> um, we can totally make one of these up. Um, it, it kind of, you know, not to say 50-50, but, you know, the, the demands change given, you know, each and every opportunity. Hmm. Um, my, my preference is to make stuff up. Um, but every now and again, someone is like, do you want to write a Spider-Man story where he meets a member of the Top Chef Contestant Corps? And I will say, yes, I do. <laughs> I can totally make a story where Peter Parker is going to a Top Chef competition and a Mysterio crashes in. And so we'll talk about food and flambe, but also <laughs> murder. <laughs> Absolutely
0: incredible. Oh. But doing my research, I saw that The
1: Highwayman is being turned into a movie. Um, yeah, like it it, it it comes around every few years. You know, when, we, when, the, when the book first came out, there was a lot of interest. You know, we got, you know, calls from Warner Brothers and, and New Line Cinema and, and a couple of other places. We all kind of dug it. And we're like, yeah, no, I'm super happy you like it. It's not ours. You know, it belongs to DC Comics. If you want to make that movie, you go ahead and make it. But we don't control it. We don't own it. It's theirs. And, you know, we get these sporadic kind of, uh, you know, updates like, Oh yeah, by the way, this person's adapting it. Oh, that's cool. I was like, Oh, by the way, this studio has it. Oh, that's also cool. (laughs) Um, And so the most recent was like, yeah, there's some screenwriters taking a whack at it. And Warner brothers is, uh, is hot to kind of make it. And, and we both say, that's cool. Um, I, I guess they'll invite us to the premiere, but, uh, I don't I don't have anything actively to do with it until such time, you know, which is entirely possible where they will come around and say, hey, it turns out that we own this book that you wrote and you're an actual working screenwriter. Do you want to write your own movie? And then I'll say, "Uh, you know, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that.
0: I bet the critic in you, and obviously because you wrote that to begin with, when you see the movie, if you don't write it, I, it's got to be a painful for you. Start, I would have done this. I
1: would have done this. I would have done this. You know, it probably will be, but I will also assume that the money is part of what makes that go away. Money has an incredibly palliative effect. Like, oh, wow, that would have hurt, except for all this cash. <laughs> I'm currently
2: lying in naked swimming.
1: Yeah, you know this. This landing would have been so much harder if not for these stacks of 20s.
2: Yeah, yeah. oh, all this money.
0: (laughs) You've worked on some incredible franchises as a writer. Star Trek, Castle Rock, and even now on Picard coming up. What was your foot in the door for TV work?
1: Um, The foot in the door for TV is uh, nine times out of ten. It is you wrote a sample. Um, usually it's an original idea. Sometimes it's a, it's a, a, spec episode, a speculative episode of an already existing TV show that, um, that people like, you know, that people sort of take a cotton to, um, my foot in the door was, um, I, uh, I, I comics, actually comics genius got me my first agent. Um, a fellow named Eric Reed, who currently is at uh william morris endeavor um but he read the book and he's like i think i can sell this i said i'd sure like to see you try and uh and he didn't because i knew it was going to be hard sell but he was like i like you what do you want it to be when you grow up and i said well i think i want to be a tv writer he says okay well then okay write me a pilot that i can use as a sample and be willing to come to los angeles for meetings and then if you get staffed on a tv show you have to move in a weekend." And I said, oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. So I wrote him a pilot, which looking back on isn't great, but I can see why, you know, certain people liked it. Um, I went out to Los Angeles for – I was living in, on the East Coast at the time. I was living in New York. And so I went out to, to Los Angeles and took a bunch of meetings. And then once I did get hired on Alphas, I got the word on the Thursday, and they said, you got to be in the room on Monday. And so I had to move across country in 72 hours. Um, you know, like leaving my family behind because like at best, this is a temp job so it 's like i 'm not going to pull kids out of school and, and, and just crater a bunch of lives in order to go chase this dumb knucklehead dream <laughs> um, but it 's always a piece of material, a piece of material that 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 at least gives people the sense that you can perform, that this is a job you can do. Um, the longer you work in TV, the less that piece of material is necessary because it becomes like, oh, well, you've worked for those five people and they don't hire idiots, so clearly well, you're not an idiot <laughs> and you can do this work, so yeah, come on board. Let's, uh, let's go make some TV. That's but, amazing. you know, the, Sorry, it, happened with, uh, yeah, it happened with Alphas, it happened with Castle Rock, um, you know, it happened with Treadstone. It was, it was all, you know, the, the showrunners read a thing that they're like, oh, okay, I, I see how, what this person can do can be a part of the baseball team I'm putting together to help tell this story. Or, you know, football team to, to help bridge the US-UK gap. Do yeah. <laughs> so, did you, did you get to write your own episodes? Um, you know, most of the time, yes. Um, you know, it's still, you know, hearkening back to that example of, you know, the entire room is helping to tell the overall yeah. story. Yeah. And we'll get a chunk of that story to tell for yourself but yeah it's hey all right you're writing episode seven and here's what's happening in episode seven i think we've all decided on uh we'll see you in a couple of weeks let us know when you've got a draft and then you go off and you're in your basement um you know radioactive bunker and you hammer out <laughs> 60 pages of uh of screenplay and then you hand it back in but yeah it's it's uh it's an incredibly rewarding experience when you can you know when you a get to to do that large overarching story and then start distilling it down. And then you get to write your piece of that story and then watch as it kind of dovetails with what came before. And then it, it, it hands off to what's going to happen after. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to be on set and, and watch actors say lines that you wrote while you cringe in the corner saying, Oh my God, are they actually saying that? Cause that doesn't <laughs> sound like it works or, Oh my God, these are great actors. They made that shit sound great. <laughs> um. It's a uh, you know, and and then getting to see it on TV, like it's 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 a ridiculous process um, that that has its share of rewards and also occasional pains um, from beginning to end. <laughs> but it's it's not so bad That's as amazing. far as jobs go. It's not yeah. so bad. Sounds
0: <laughs> <incredible>. <laughs> did, did I see one of your earliest jobs as an intern on DS Nine?
1: I was. I was. I um when I was in in college. I entered a writing for television competition that was open only to college students. Um, The the grand prize of which was a summer in Los Angeles interning for um, two television shows. One of which was being produced by the guy who funded the competition, Gary David Goldberg, who had created family ties and at the time was doing um, Brooklyn bridge, which I think was on CBS, a sitcom and, uh, and a show to be named later. And so I wrote a Star Trek spec because it was the only show that I watched enough to actually know who the characters were enough to be able to like, write dialogue for them. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to write a next generation spec and I'm going to, whatever. I'm sure it's awful. It's probably not long enough, but I'm going to do it because it sounds like fun. <laughs> so I did it and I won this thing. And so the summer between my, uh, my 11th and, nope, hold on, not 11th and 12th, this would have been junior and senior year of college. So I was 17 years old um i spent the summer in la like you know they rented me an apartment and i i didn't have a car you know i wasn't old enough to drink so i had a bike and i'm riding my bike all over la um and i got to work on the paramount lot for like eight weeks and the first four weeks i was on brooklyn bridge but they were kind of done with the writing process they were shooting at the time so i can just pop over to set and watch them shoot and like being on set the first time you're on a set is the most amazing experience in the world. Like just getting to watch like the lights and the camera guys and makeup and all of these moving pieces all working in harmony. The second day you're on a set is like watching paint dry because you've seen it all. It's no longer like, you know, whiz bang. Oh my God. This is the magic behind the magic. It's a bunch of people sitting around waiting to work You know, the actors are sitting around waiting for the lights to be hung, waiting for the cameramen to pull focus with stand-ins. And, you know, for every two minutes of screen that's shot, there's about half an hour of sitting around waiting, Um, sometimes longer if there's like an action setup or something. So, uh, you know, bored out of my mind, um, they were like, well, okay, the first half you're going to do on this show, and then you wrote an episode of Star Trek. We're on the Paramount lot. Gary David Goldberg, who runs this show, is best friends with Rick Berman, who runs Star Trek maybe you can do the back half on Star Trek. And I said, yes, I would love to do that. And so that's pretty much exactly what happened. And it was between seasons five and six of Next Generation, but they had just shot the pilot for Deep Space Nine and were starting to gear up for season one of Deep Space Nine. (sighs) And so that's kind of where I ended up gravitating towards because it was all so new and it was all kind of beginning and it's all, um, you know, just, building a show kind of from the ground up. And Star Trek was an amazing experience because it was the first time that I'd been around other writers who did this for a living. Um, Part of the Star Trek ethos at the time was anybody could submit a script to Star Trek. You know, they had an open submission policy. It was the only show on television that had that. But if you were a fan, if you were an aspiring writer, if you were anywhere in the world who wanted to tell a Star Trek story, you had a shot at doing it. You could write your script. You could send it in. Somebody would read it. Always the interns. That was their job. <laughs> we, we were the first line of defense. Um, you know, and if there was something we liked, we would kick it up. And if there was something that we thought was just garbage, we would throw it in the trash. But you know, and and it's it, for some people, it yielded careers. Like uh, like Jane Espenson, who was on Buffy and uh, Angel and a bunch of shows. She's phenomenal. Got her start, you know, writing. Sc- Spec scripts for Star Trek, mailing them in blind, and got a call saying we're going to buy this episode from you. Um, Fellow named Jose Molina did the same thing. Um, I think Ron Moore um, came in through the, the, the slush pile, um, who would then go on to make Battlestar Galactica and For All Mankind and, and Outlander. Um, it was a it was a real legit way of breaking in. But the interns read all the scripts, so always be nice to the interns. <laughs> Done. That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, and and yeah, and the guy who was running Nine at the time, Ira Stephen Bear, would twenty years later hire me for Alphas. He was also the showrunner on Alphas, and he was like, "Hey, are you that guy? Are you you're, you're from the Bronx, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm from the Bronx." Like, I remember you. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I would be a terrible fan if I didn't at least touch on your work with Kevin. So uh, how how did you two meet?
1: Um, we met, I was, uh, I was working for Antony Weekly, and uh, I was doing a story on rankings, like Fashion Week or something, and we were ranking comic book superhero costumes, <laughs> and they wanted some, like, voice of authority, and, you know, and this, God, this must have been, like, you know, 15 years ago. And, uh, and Kevin, of course, is and always was the only real voice of comic book authority for a long time. So I was like, well, let's see if you can get Kevin on the phone and have him do it. So, uh, so I called him up, um, or I called up his press people, and they put us in contact, and we did a quick, like, phone interview. And uh, I was like, all right, that was fun. See you later. And then, like, a year after that, um, I think it was Jersey Girl. It was either the Jersey Girl or, or Zach and Miri. <clears throat> I was like, well, I want to do a filmography. Like, I'd like to get Kev to just walk, walk us through his entire catalog. And he was down to do it. And I was supposed to call him on the phone. And he was like, hey, can we do this over instant message? Like, I'd rather write. I'm a writer. Um, is that cool with you? And I was like, yeah, man. I don't have to transcribe anything. I hate the sound of my own voice. This is perfect. <laughs> so we get on instant message. And, you know, we just fucking chat for, for a couple of hours. And he's like, all right, man, that was fun. Take it easy. But then he would still, every now and again, just, like, pop up on my instant message. This is back when AOL was the only way to communicate with anybody. And, uh, and he first just asked me, like, dumb, like, syntax questions. He's like, I'm writing this letter. Do I use a semicolon or a colon here? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, probably a semicolon. Nobody knows how this <laughs> works, but sure, go for it. Um. And then it would just be like, hey, man, did you see the Hulk? You know, it's like, yeah, man, I saw the Hulk. So what would you think? It's like, and we would just start, like, chatting, like nerds would chat about stuff. Um, and then he's like, hey, I got this poker game in, uh, in Jersey. Every, you know, I come back home every, you know, couple of weeks and roll a poker game. Do you play poker? And I said, not well. He said, perfect. You should come and play poker. <laughs> Um, and so like every couple of months, you know, cause I was living in Jersey and he would come back and, you know, we'd play poker and hang out. And then I would come out to LA usually before comic cons or whatever. And he'd say, Hey man, um, I just finished a movie. You want to come to the house and see it? And I'd say, uh, sure. We, I can do that. Uh, and, you know, just do it. I'd watch the movie. We'd eat pizza and hang out for a couple of hours and I'd then go my merry way. And then when I was out in LA for Alphas, when I first got on staff, and he was like, hey, man, you're here for a while. Um, I do this, this podcast with my wife. Um, you should come on and be a guest. And I said, all right, man, whatever you want. Rolled over to his house and did a plus one episode with him and Jen. And, uh, and he's like, oh, that was fun. We should do another podcast. I was like, if you say so. And then like a year and a half after that, I was like, I just moved to L.A., Kev. I'm working for Hollywood Porter. I like, oh, cool. You should come on, um, on Fat Man on Batman. Um, I don't know. Come up with a list of your 10 favorite Batman comics. And I said, all right, I can do that he was like, oh, no, 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 wait. Let's do a commentary track for this new Dark Knight Returns animated show that's coming out. It's like, oh, all right, that sounds like fun. So we did that. He was like, oh, that was cool. We, did, we should do the other Batman movies. It's was like, all right, sure, that sounds like fun. And so we did a bunch. And then he was like, well, Gotham is about to premiere. We should do, like, see Gotham. Let's do the same thing for Gotham. All right, man. We did, like, two for Gotham. And we're like we should stop doing this for gotham because <laughs> it's not that great but i like doing this podcast um let's just you know and, and his favorite part of it was we were like the utility belt we'll just talk about the general pop culture news and we're gonna open up the utility belt and see what's happening in the world of geek it's like we should just do a podcast that's like just that I said all right that's cool so you want to be the co-host sure do i have to do anything no just show up like okay that's cool <laughs> And then he was like, hey, man, uh, do you mind if we put up some cameras in here? Uh, little GoPros, whatever. Maybe we'll stream it to YouTube. It's like, yeah, man, sure, that's fine. Like, hey, man, do you want to go on the road? Like, okay, yeah, we could do some dates, uh, you know, around the country and maybe overseas. Sure, that's cool. Hey, man. Like, it's basically him going, hey, man, do you want to? And me going, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. Like, hey, man, do you want to help me do uh, Mass of the Universe? Sure, that could be a hoot. Like, hey, man. Do you want to? Do you want to work on a question? We'll try and do that for for DC. It's like, sure, that sounds like fun. Damn, I- I've, uh, <laughs> I, I've I've just become the 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 yes man, where he comes up with ideas and and I say that sounds great.
2: <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm honest, I'm surprised
0: he's still asking the question.
1: <laughs> i mean i I don't think i've ever said no
0: (laughs) i just love that you could tell you've heard that from so many times the way you do his hey man sounds exactly like the way kevin says it it's brilliant
1: and uh so it's it's basically been you know kevin having ideas um me more often than not agreeing with them and uh and both of us coming from this place of we would be talking about this anyway you know, like, we would both go and see Aquaman and probably spend a couple of hours in a parking lot talking about it anyway, because that's what nerds do. You know, that, that's my entire formative experience of being a nerd, going to see movies with other nerds, and then spending most of the following night still in the parking lot before you get in your cars talking about it. And instead, it's, all right, we'll do a podcast about it. Like, let's just, here's all the shit that's happening that we care about. Here's the movies coming, the TV show's coming, the news that's coming down the pike that we would be interested in knowing if we were nerds just talk about it. And, uh, and, and it's, been, it's been transformative for me in lots of ways. Um, mostly good, occasionally bad, um, because I never for a second fancied myself a public figure. Um, you know, any sort of notoriety was not on the vision board that I would have had for myself. Mm. Um, and so that the, there's a level of public profile that took some adjusting and getting used to. Um, hmm. It's been overwhelmingly good, um, for the most part. Um, you know, with the occasional pockets of, oh, "We're going to do this now." Huh? All right, sure. Let's this oh, death right. threat season, I guess. So... <laughs> 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 All right, fair enough. Dally <laughs> forth. <laughs> um... So, did you ever think that? Because everything
2: you've said so far, did you ever think that your life would go the way it has? Did you ever think you'd be in the position you are today?
1: Um, no, no. I mean, it's it, for the first chunk of my professional life, it was a lot of going through doors that were open to me. Yeah. You know, like I took an internship to get out of college at Starlock. They offered me a job. I said yes. Like I reached out, a friend of mine said, Hey, you should come and work for Entertainment Weekly. They're looking for smart people. And so I reached out and they said yes. And, you know, the Hollywood reporter came together because a friend of mine had a friend who was running it who's also looking for smart people. I was looking to move to LA and and it all kind of came together. The TV, you know, T V doesn't land in your lap nine times out of ten. Like you gotta want that and you gotta go for it. Um And so the, 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 the level of siege that I had to mount in order to make television actually happen, um, was, uh, was, was, you know, heretofore unbelievable even unto myself, but it worked, but I never would have imagined that, you know, I'd be a podcaster. I never would have imagined that, you know, I, anybody would recognize me in the world, like the, the weird imbalance of fame. I remember, trying to explain to my son, he's like, you have a lot of friends. I was like, no, see, here's the thing. A friend is if you walk up and you see them in the crowd, you know who they are as much as they know who you are. Yeah, like this bit is like, I don't know that person at all, but they know me and that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think it ever gets not weird, um, especially if it's not a thing you ever really sort of factored in. Like, fame was nothing I prepared for. Yeah. Um, even the, the minuscule level of lightweight fame I might have. You know, I can still walk through an airport without everybody stopping me, unlike Kev, who, like, has to move like a shark because if he stops moving, then, hey, there's 15 people who want a picture or want to say hi or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I could not have planned this life, um, but I don't regret any of it.
2: Oh, and it's amazing. I think it's absolutely incredible yeah, cool. everything that you've done, like the plethora of stuff that you've done. <laughs> and now you're sat here talking to two idiots like us. <laughs> <laughs> and we massively appreciate you taking time out to sit here with us. We really do appreciate it massively.
1: No, man, it's my pleasure. Like it's, uh, you know, you, you picked the sweet spot of like, hey, you know what? It's, <laughs> nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like can you, can you break off 45 minutes like yeah I can do that
0: we're dreading the world back together because we're like can you come on my podcast no I'm busy
1: fuck no, I'm sorry <laughs> that, I'm, I'm actually going to be a place <laughs> do <Yeah>. <laughs> probably
0: pretty committed those murders I was talking about
1: <laughs> you know it's really cut down on my murder quotient uh, <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll have to make up for that on the backside yes.
0: now if you don't mind we've had some uh, questions come in from our listeners if you don't mind answering some absolutely Sure. So, Ben Gummery asks: um, Any updates, news on the uh, Masters of the Universe series?
1: Um, I have no updates that I can share beyond the fact that you know, the, the more I see of it, and I've seen a, a, a handful of it, um, the more impressed I am by it. Um, it just it looks phenomenal. It, the the cast is fucking bonkers. Um, spot on. You know, it's, uh, I, I, it seems as if next year is the year. Um, at least that's what I've been told. Um, and not that I'm telling tales out of school. Um, but I could not tell you when in 2021 um, you'll get to see it. But um, yeah, the, the, the more I get to see, the more, uh, the more I want to see. Which I think is the, is the preferred fuel air mixture.
0: Oh, yeah. uh, Nick Brody says, who was your hero growing up?
1: Who was my hero? Um, I, I'm going to assume that he means real world hero as opposed to fictional hero. We'll go with um, that one. Sounds better. But uh, I'm trying to think when I when I growing up, it was probably somebody like because um, you know I don't you know it's it's hard to have that perspective. Uh, as a as an old-ass person, if that person wasn't, like, dominating your life. You know, it's not like I'm a gymnast. And so I was growing up, like, man, Nadia Comaneci, like, she's the one. I just want to be that girl. I just want to be in that tutu, and I want to be dancing like the wind. That's all I want. I didn't quite have that person. Um, I guess the, the closest that I had in a real sort of intellectual kind of way um, was probably George Lucas, you know like the more that i had heard about you know the 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 making of star wars the work that it took to make star wars the the path that he had to follow to to get that done and then the 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 ability to stick to those guns and deliver something that nobody had seen before and nobody knew would work you know like there's it's so easy to look back on star wars as if it must have been a slam dunk but it wasn't for any number of reasons, you know, and not the least of which was George himself. Like he was an indie filmmaker making this giant thing with an indie sensibility. And it's, you know, it would be so easy to look at that script and say, Hey man, your main character doesn't show up for the first, like half an hour. Like maybe you might want to fix that. And he's like, no, this is the way I want to tell this story. Like, Oh shit. All right, man, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh. But, you know, if we're supposed to be all about this Luke Skywalker guy, then maybe we need to see him like in the beginning. Nope. Nope. (laughs) And worse, we're going to just follow a couple droids. They roll around the desert for a while. Why? We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What are they looking for? Unclear. (laughs) Just roll with it, Matt. Just roll with it. Just come on. Just just (laughs) give me this. Just try to wait. And also we have to fly to Tunisia to get this done. We're not just going to do this in like, you know, the SoCal Valley. We got to go to Africa and shoot this with a bunch of dudes in suits and they're just walking around the desert. Why? Um, so yeah, just that, that commitment to his own vision and being able to eventually build, um, you know, what he built on its back, um, as a creative person was very inspiring. Um, Conan the Barbarian was my favorite uh, literature hero uh, growing up as a kid Um, I read all those books, I love those books I read all the comics Um, it's not for kids which is probably why I loved it so much (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) this is manifestly not for children (laughs) it does not obey the comics code, there's a lot of rape and beheading in here, so it's perfect for a 12 year old
0: (laughs) now we know where that murder came from (laughs) Oh, man,
1: the murder. It goes all the way back.
0: <laughs> uh, Jonathan Gambrell says, "Did having kids affect your writing process and the subjects you chose to tackle?"
1: Um, not immediately. Um, the the process became one of time. You know, it. it I, I was always a person who wrote better at night, as opposed to during the day. Um, and having, yeah, no, I, a hundred percent, am a like ten o'clock at night to one o'clock in the morning writer. Um, And it, you know, children reinforce that because A, they were up all the time. And so like, (laughs) I would just take the 10 o'clock to one o'clock shift of feeding children. And in between that shift, just, all right, well, I'm gonna have to feed this knucklehead again pretty soon, so I'm gonna get. (laughs) Um, And it's also just the idea that time is not your own anymore when you have kids. And so it becomes Mm -hmm. like, all right, now when you do get that time, you have to maximize it. And so, like, how much can I get done in these two or three hours before I pass out? Um, as, as to subject matter, like, you know, I, I, I guess it was the last 10 years or so I became sort of aware that at some point I would like my kids to be able to read or watch the stuff that I do <coughs> without it being, you know, uh, somewhat, you know, like, buddy, listen, you are not ready to watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you watch it, but you don't tell your mother, Um, you know, and so it it just came to figuring out how to still tell the kinds of story that I like to tell for an audience that I didn't usually tell them to, Um, you know, I have, I haven't shifted into full on Dr. Seuss mode, but you know, every now and again, there's still some story that's like, Oh, you know what? That would be perfect for like a children's book. Or an all-ages thing. And then there's the, like, oh, no, this is just grimdark. We're not showing this to children. This is just all crimson and blades and (laughs) murder. (laughs) Murder for children.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, I love it. Uh, Last one from the fans. Alex Whiteley wants to know, do you think the current superhero fatigue will either encourage more original developments
1: or cause more reboots and remakes? Um, I mean, I think that that there is always going to be the desire on the part of companies like Marvel and DC to simply uh, kind of spit polish the IP they already have, you know, Mm -hmm. they're they're in a custodial business of making sure that like, yes, there's always going to be Superman and Batman and wonder woman and Spider-Man and the X-Men and the Hulk on stands, because we just need to keep those copyrights viable and ours. There's no letting those guys slip into the public domain. So there will always be a publishing initiative to make people still want to buy these 75 year old heroes. So that will inevitably lead to a cycle upon cycle of reboots and relaunches Mm -hmm. and refreshes and, and rehashes and all that stuff. But, um, the good news is that there is still a very viable and thriving industry on original ideas and original IP and, you know, places like image comics and dark horse comics and vault comics. And, and, you know, there's a bunch of places out there that are just telling new stories. And I think we will get to the point, And I do think it's cyclical where at least Hollywood will begin to cycle away from that pre-established IP of like, I guess we're making a fourth Hellboy movie. Um, even though nobody really wanted the third one. <laughs> <laughs> sure we gotta keep going because duh. <clears throat> you know, and, and be sort of emboldened by like the Walking Dead success. You know, and, and just say, hey, listen, here's the thing that n- nobody knew anything about that just was good. And we decided to look to what was good, you know, and like maybe we'll just see lots more of that. I think they'll go hand in hand. I don't think one disappears over the other, Um, but I I choose to be optimistic about the fact that there will always be a place for original ideas in the world, even if they become harder and harder to make happen. All it needs is for one giant one to break free. And everybody's like, where's our thing nobody's ever seen before? Yes, please. More of that. Yeah, DC
2: films though.
1: You know, I, I feel like they're finding their way. They're slowly finding their way. Yeah. Um, it just, I, I think they they were enamored with the idea of like, oh, we got a universe. We should do a universe. Everybody's doing a universe. Here's our universe. And, <sighs> and Marvel just beat them through the door. Yes, and absolutely. did it a little too well. And now the DC seems to not be trying to like build to a giant story that are connecting all of these characters. And just say, hey, man, Black Adam, we're going to get a Black Adam movie. Shazam going to be in it. Maybe. I don't know. What about Cavill? Possibly. That's cool though, right? Doesn't have to tie to anything. Doesn't have to lead to anything. Like yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, if the Joker has shown them anything, it's, you know, maybe just make a good movie. That would yeah. be great. we yeah. started with just making a good movie, and then that unlocks the possibility to do a bunch of other stuff. Incredible. Just get Christopher
2: Nolan to write more. Christopher Nolan's Batmans are unbelievable. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I am a hundred percent sure that they backed up the the money truck to convince him to do that. Like, Hey man, do you have like another three Batmans in you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will give you all the money. <laughs>
2: you could have my wife, my you could have at my house. Just have to and take Whatever it you
1: want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we will give you the actual Warner brothers. We'll dig up their bodies. You we'll, <laughs> can do whatever you want to with those corpses, man. Just <laughs> make them dance. <laughs> wink wink and nudge nudge and all that mm-hmm. <laughs> incredible how do you do
0: <laughs> right before we get out of here we like to play a little game with our our um, guests could not think of the word guests and don't know
1: why um, <laughs> with um our six, subjects uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> with our suspects um <laughs> all we do it's six questions quick fire round answer them as quick as you can nice and simple fair enough favorite cheese american favorite concert you've ever been to prince oh wow favorite star trek captain um cisco good answer Mm -hmm. favorite podcast that isn't your own um song exploder don't know what it is but great name yeah no i'll tell you after awesome favorite cartoon as a child slash teenager
1: um bugs bunny looney tunes
0: And who would play you in a movie?
1: Well, there's the real-life version of me, and then there's the aspirational version of me. (laughs) You know, like Denzel Washington plays the aspirational version of me. um, And Reginald Vell Johnson plays the real-life version of me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. But Song Explorer, you guys would dig it the most. It's literally this... um, podcaster podcast named uh, Rishi Kish Hairway, who will just interview musicians about how they wrote a specific song. And oh, then the wow. musician will just like literally go from, here's what I thought of it. Here's where it came from. Here's, and like, here's the original demo tracks. Here's where we laid in this drum sound. Here's where we found this. It's phenomenal. Like if you're a music nerd um, who just likes process, it is just nothing but that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it yeah. And there's there's now a Netflix um version of it that actually adds like, you know, the visual component to it. But like they've had um REM talking about losing my religion and like here's where this song came from and here's why he was fixated on a mandolin and here's the original demo track and Michael Stipe hates the sound of his own voice. So watching him listen to the original demo vocals is like <laughs> kind of a treat. <laughs> it's like oh ooh, no 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 no, no. <laughs> um, so yeah no if you're if you're a music head um, it's totally uh, the jam for you I'll shout uh, out Mark brother. you have
0: been incredible um, before we get out of it, is there anything you want to plug send people to to check out or anything like that
1: um, yeah I, I I don't quite have anything out in the world that requires plugging at the moment um, but you know but find me on my socials at Mark Bernardin anywhere you could look for me um, and if there's anything new coming down the pike um, that's where you'll hear it first
0: incredible mark thank you so much you've been incredible i really appreciate you taking time out to do this for us
1: no thanks James. this was fun it's
0: been a pleasure thank you so much
2: mark and enjoy the rest of your day
1: thanks (laughs) take it easy guys
2: take care cheers
0: Bye. bye bye hey this is baz black and you're listening to the chronicles of podcast tom is a sex god and i'd like to have his babies